Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. This is your boy Rob Clark. Before we get into the show today, I have a special message from my friends Greg Parker and Frankie Vegas of ReopenKennedyCase.org. There is a special going on right now till the end of the month, which is almost up. You can get $30 off your total price of admission. They are having a JFK conference. Uh, It's never too late for justice. Or, I'm sorry, because justice is never too late. That's my fault. Saturday, 21st of November, 2015. Sunday, 22nd November, 2015. Both days, 8.30 to 4.30. At the Mercure Treasury Gardens in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I know it's a ways away, but it is in Australia. So, make your plans to attend now. You're not going to have much to choose from in the States this year. You can either do Judy Baker and her cuckoo conference. Um, Lancer was pretty lackluster last year. Um, 
And quite frankly, the lineup that they have so far down in Australia is looking pretty damn good to me. Uh, go check it out for yourself at reopenkennedycase.org. You can also find them on Facebook. They have all the information on their Facebook page as well. Uh, just go in Facebook and do a search for reopenkennedycase.org. And I'll put the link up with the show. And now, without further ado, I bring you part two of Mr. Adam Go Rightly. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode number 48 of the Lone Gunman Podcast. I am back today with noted author and crackpot historian himself, Mr. Adam Go Rightly. Adam is joining me again today. If you haven't heard the last one, go back and listen to the first one first, because we're kind of doing this chronologically, or something like that, in a chaotic, discordian way. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the show, Adam. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. Um, well, this week went by fast. It seemed like I was only talking to you a few minutes ago. <laughs> Must be tripping, man. Must be tripping. <laughs> oh, man. You never know. You never know. Put that curtain back together. Um, so let's get right into it, Adam. Um, there's been a lot of speculation recently from unnamed persons, shall we say, about their interactions with Carrie Thornley in New Orleans. Um, actually, in the spring of 63 and in the fall of 63. And... I'm wondering if you could maybe lay out some kind of a, a Carrie Thornley timeline about when exactly he was in New Orleans in 1963 and exactly what the hell he was doing there. Well, yeah, he moved originally to New Orleans in 61. I mentioned before with his buddy uh, Greg Hill. That was early 61. And he was there until May. 63, and according to his Warren Commission testimony, and he said the same thing to Garrison's grand jury. He left in early May. He got back in California on May 5th, and he was out there, spent some time with his parents, and he was working and whatnot. Then he uh, said he was gone. That's that period when he left uh, New Orleans. He traveled through mistaken Greyhound bus, traveled through uh, Texas. You know, that's when Garrison placed him there, making the phony photos. So yeah, I got back to California May 5th and was there. Uh, let's see. What's the timeline? Basically, it's into uh, late August. He went, uh, was heading back to New Orleans, went through Mexico City. And got back to New Orleans on September 4th of uh, 1963. And of course, he, then he was there until uh, like mid-December of 63 is when he split, went to Arlington, Virginia. Now you said Mexico City, is that correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that's a little bit of a coincidence, don't you think, that he would take that, uh, that route? Well, yeah, perhaps. What can I say? I'm just laying it out there. I have no evidence that he was up to uh, any skullduggery. But uh, once again, I'll also state that I don't know, uh, I can't say any certitude that he 
resonant to uh, some type of hijinks while he was there. Once again, I doubt it, but uh, coincidences do happen sometimes. Well, that, that is true. It's just... Uh... Do, we, do we know that Oswald was uh, there? Somebody pretending to be Oswald was uh, there, so... That's hard yeah, to say, these, too. These, these things happen sometimes. Or were they and both there? <laughs> he was big on that, what he called propinquity, uh, relating association, associating people with places and timelines and all of this. He was a master digging up those sort of details. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. Pro, I think that's the biggest word I've read so far this year was in your book, pro, propinquitous, if I'm yeah, saying that I, correctly. I, I got that. I love it. I love it. Now, one thing that intrigues me a lot, and and you you pointed to it in your book too, is uh the research of John Armstrong and his whole theory about there being a Harvey and there being a Lee. And uh, you know, Garrison was big on the, on this Dew Oswald theory. You know, several books popped up back then. You know, uh, Richard Popkins' book, The Second Oswald. You know, there's theories that it, it 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 could have been two people that looked exactly alike. It could have been somebody that looked resembled him vaguely. You know, like somebody like William Seymour. Um, or it, you know, it could even have been something that even Marina actually knew about because. Something you pointed out to in, in your book was an interview she did early. I forget exactly when. I think you said it was right after the Warren Commission. Was some with a French newspaper or, or a French magazine where she said something like, um, "You know, Lee, Lee was the nice guy, and 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 Harvey was the, somebody else, or some. I can't remember the exact quote. But I don't I, remember exactly either. But then it basically said this. Wasn't the husband I knew that did that? You know, like she couldn't have been alluding to somewhat psychological change he had gone through, or perhaps you know, as other people have pointed out, uh, she was talking about two different Oswalds. Yeah, that was interesting to me because she, you know, she actually used the, you know, the name Harvey, which, you know, I've I've heard that he hated <laughs> to be called, but and then there was another guy that liked to be called that, so. The whole damn thing intrigues the hell out of me because there's a lot of things in John Armstrong's book you can't you can't look away from. You know, he's in two places at once. He's in schools in different states at the same time. You know, he's got him going into the Marine Corps two different times. You know, there's just some a lot of strange things going on there. And you know, when I first heard Garrison's supposition of Carrie Thornley possibly being one of these guys, I looked, I was like, you know, who's this Carrie Thornley guy? I looked a picture up of him, and I'm like, well, this guy doesn't look anything like uh, Lee Oswald. Of course, I was probably looking at one of his later hippie photos, but, uh, which uh, brings to mind, I, I did have one quick aside here, just a, pers- just a personal curiosity about Carrie Thornley. A picture I ran across um, you know, looking him up, and I'm sure you know what I'm referring to when I say uh, Carrie Thornley and a chair. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was that about? That photo appears. I've done two books on Carrie Thornley. Uh, 
first was uh, published in 2003, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, The Story of Carrie Thornley and How He Met Oswald and Inspired the Counterculture. <clears throat> and that photo of Carrie uh, having sex with the chair appears. <laughs> Um, Kerry was a, yeah, he was an oddball, you know, he started that spoof religion discordianism, which, um, influenced, to some degree, the Church of the Subgenius. Are you familiar with those guys? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Another, uh, popular, uh, spoof religion, if you Google these, you'll find all kinds of, uh, stuff on the Church of the Subgenius, and Kerry got involved with the Church of the Subgenius in the 80s, and as a, uh, Christmas card uh, one year, he sent out that uh, photo <laughs> of him. Fucking, I don't know if he's really screwing the chair or not, but uh, <laughs> that, that photo you have seen, and as uh, Reverend Ivan State, who runs the uh, Church of the Subgenius, later commented on that photo, he said, Carrie had a love for all things, even chairs. <laughs> yeah, I ran across that, and I was like, oh my God, what is he doing? Um, but yeah, the, the, these, uh, I mean, these guys, I mean, even Carrie Thornley too, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's drugs or if it's just people had a lot more time on their hands back then and were a lot more open-minded about things because the sixties to me was almost like a modern day renaissance. I mean, it was, it opened up. You know, there was all kinds of shit going on. You know, you had, you know, Kennedy dying, the birth of rock and roll. You had, you know, all these other assassinations, the Vietnam War, the counterculture, drugs were coming onto the scene. Rock and roll was coming onto the scene. And it, that whole time period in itself was just, it must have been kick ass, you know, to, to actually live through it. And and, yeah. and and to see all that. Right in the middle of all that. I mean, he was involved in all that stuff. We talk about that. A little bit about discordianism. I've written on this subject quite a bit as well because the co-founder of Discordian, Greg Hill, basically kept archives of all the Discordian materials, and this included Thornley's writings on the Kennedy assassination. All this stuff was passed on to me, which helped me write the book. But anyway, they came up with this spoof religion way back when, and it was a way of kind of poking fun at organized religions and making social commentaries. And, um, you know, the, the Bible of Discordianism is the Principia Discordia, or Principia Discordia, if you want to pronounce it the correct Latin way. And they started working on this stuff during that New Orleans uh, period. And of course, according to legend, the first edition Principia Discordia, which uh, consisted of five copies, was uh, produced after hours on Jim Garrison's uh, mimeograph machine in 1965, two years <laughs> before his investigation started. Thornley and Hill knew uh, one of Garrison's uh, typists there by the name of Lane Capinger. She's a young lady who also happens to be the uh, sister of a uh, Grace Kappinger, who we know nowadays is Grace Zabrinsky, the actress who you've seen in a lot of roles. She's been on a lot of movies, Seinfeld. She played Laura Palmer's mother in Twin Peaks. Oh, right. Her and Dorothy, 
good friends back in the day. So that's one of those weird things associated with all of this. But so they they start creating this Bible of Discordianism, getting off track from the Kennedy assassination. That's all right. Swerve back that direction a bit here, but so this thing evolved over the years and it was kind of a countercultural uh, you know, book that a few people saw and there was new editions they'd update and it became an art project where different writers and stuff got involved like Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea wrote the Illuminatus trilogy and so it was just like this collage of student different ideas that became later editions of the uh, <clears throat> Principia Discordia which, once again, was this underground uh, manuscript that went on to influence uh, you know, the, the book, the Illuminatus Trilogy, and in the Illuminatus Trilogy, which is the crazy science fiction conspiracy three-part you know, trilogy, they mentioned the Principia Discordia quite a bit in that book. Uh, Illuminatus became you know, pretty popular, once again, with the hippie conspiracy subculture and people started talking about, you know, they assumed that the Principia Discordia was this made-up book they're talking about in this in Illuminatus. And interestingly enough, uh, the first book of Illuminatus is uh, dedicated to Kerry Thornley and Ray Hill. <laughs> and so these names got entered into uh, you know, the subculture during that period. People started wondering you know, if that really was a book and it year or two later, you know, it was like 75, the Illuminatus came out. There was a more mainstream publication of the uh, Principia Discordia. So, you know, that, that was part of uh, Kerry Thornley's legacy. But, you know, during, you know, following, uh, like in 65, even 64, 65, he was a, uh, into libertarianism, was editing a libertarian newsletter called The Innovator. And Kerry, you know, he'd been portrayed as this rabid right-winger by Garrison. He was framed like that, but Kerry was more into uh, anarchy and libertarianism. So he was more of an anarcho-libertarian, anarcho as they uh, call him, more into individual liberties. He wasn't an extreme right-winger, as, as he's been characterized. And he got involved in this got involved in this movement where he was trying to bring some of the better parts of the libertarian movement and mesh that with like the counterculture movements and he'd have parties at his uh, house, house in LA, this is like 66 around there, where he'd bring you know, his hippie friends over with his more conservative uh, libertarian friends and they'd have long discussions into the night and smoke weed and maybe drop a little something so you know <laughs> Kerry was trying to drip, bridge a gap there and same thing you know with having conversations with Oswald and all these crazy people he was an intellectual who liked to entertain different ideas and theories he got into psychedelics which might have led to some of his labor uh, psychological problems. He uh, got involved in the sexual re revolution. All of this stuff was going on in 67 when he got, then got in, enmeshed in the uh, garrison investigation. And so in a lot of ways, Kerry Thornley, you know, he's a big influence on the counterculture, though, you know, 
most people when they look back at the 60s counterculture, his name isn't the first one popped up on the radar, but he interacted with a lot of those counterculture people back in the day and definitely had a, uh, an influence on uh, that whole period. Yeah, he was counterculture before counterculture was cool. <laughs> back. <Yeah. laughs> now let's get back into a little bit back in New Orleans and tell me tell me more about this Barbara Reed lady. Barbara Reed, interestingly enough, was a member of, you know, talking about the religion Discordianism and the organization was the Discordian Society. That's the again, this was kind of a joke thing where they play around with these ideas. Ah, getting off track here again, but the whole thing with Discordianism is this I need to cover this ground before we get to Barbara Reed. But, uh, when uh, Thornley and Greg Hill came up with the whole Discordian thing, it came from conversations they had in that. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Bowling alley long ago in 1958 in Southern California where they started discussing why is there so much uh, chaos? Why are things so screwed up? You know, and uh, you know, they were talking about how perceived order in the world, there really was no order, that's just man's perception, that they lay over the truly chaotic universe, that uh, you know, there is some type of order with militaries and political bodies and all of this, but at the end of the day, there is no order, that's, that's just man's perception of things, we pretend bring order to our universe, right. but at the end of the day, it's just a truly chaotic universe. And so they got talking, well, Thornley asked Ray Kill, what we need is our own God for uh, chaos. You know, all the, all the other uh, deities actually bring order to the universe. But, you know, in a truly chaotic universe, we need our own God. And Ray Kill said, well, there already is one. She's the goddess of uh, confusion from Greek mythology, whose name is Eris. The Greek goddess of chaos and discord. Hence, the birth of discordianism. Okay, now we'll get back to the world. So they were playing around with these ideas, and different people joined the discordian society during that period. One of them was Barbara Reed, oddly enough, who later became a uh, you know the key witness against uh, Thornley. If you dig into the House Select Committee assassination files, you'll come up with some. <laughs> Excerpts from the first edition of the Principia Discordia, and also in that is the uh, membership certificate of Barbara Reed into the Discordian 
society. Colgate was pretty damn crazy, but Barbara Reed, she was friends. She was part of the scene there. She knew uh, Carrie Thornley liked to hang out at the Bourbon House restaurant, as did other folks associated with the Garrison investigation. In fact, Reed was good friends with Andrew Lou Schiambra, who was uh, the assistant district attorney to Garrison. And according to some information I've read, uh, Barbara Reed was also close with Jim Garrison, uh, Rick Hill, who was Carrie's friend, uh, part of that scene, claimed that uh, Barbara Reed told him that uh, she had had a, an affair with uh, Jim Garrison. All of this was going on. So, and, uh, and when the Garrison investigation got uh, rolling, boy, it a long time to talk to about who Barbara Reed is, but probably should say that uh, in 67 is when Thornley got involved with uh, the Garrison investigation, and uh, David Lifton knew, uh, of course, he knew Thornley, and he knew Garrison, and he uh, informed Garrison that, that Thornley had information on somebody who was a potential suspect in the case, John Renee Pinell. And so Garrison uh, tried to recruit uh, Thornley to testify against Pinell, and Thornley refused. Uh, after that, then Thornley is when he became a suspect. And that's when the uh, testimony of, uh, or the statement of Barbara Reed emerged that she had seen Thornley with Oswald in the Bourbon House restaurant in late September of. 1963, meeting with Oswald there. Of course, uh, Thornley denied these accusations. But the, so at that point, she became you know, the chief witness against Thornley and also became part of Garrison's investigation team. Reed was running around with uh, Harold Weisberg uh, interviewing different witnesses and kind of weaving together her own theories with uh, Harold Weisberg. Oh, wow. To investigation where Thornley was a key person in this um, cabal, this nexus of conspirators in uh, New Orleans that hatched the Kennedy assassination, or were somehow involved in setting up Oswald and covering up the true participants in the assassination. How's that for a long-winded answer? Good, good. But it uh, didn't, I, I think I remember reading in your book, didn't she actually almost convince Thornley that he did actually meet with Oswald in the in the restaurant at some point? That he might have been second guessing himself a little bit. Yeah, and actually, it was uh, just a few days after the assassination. Once again, he was friends with Barbara Reed, so it was great. He'll go over to her house, and uh, it was at that time that uh, you know, a few days after the assassination, uh, she's. Newspapers came out with pictures of Oswald, and she was saying, I saw you with Oswald at the Bourbon House. You were there, and Thornley says, You did? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I would have known uh, Oswald, but she was so certain that she began convincing Thornley, Well, maybe I did. I didn't remember. I don't know. I think I would have uh, known, but, you know, Thorn Thornley was one to entertain a lot of ideas, and she's you know, saying, Well, why didn't I remember? Said, well, maybe you were brainwashed, and who knows? <laughs> and that's the uh, 
testimony he gave, you know, before the grand, the Orleans uh, Parish Grand Jury that, uh, well, yeah, she said she did. I thought, well, maybe it is possible, but now I don't think it's possible. And, uh, you know, people pour over that testimony in recent years. It's like, man, he's sure being wishy-washy here. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't doubt he was, uh, you know, talking to his friends over the years, you know, Thornley, a lot of times, was too honest. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be hard too, Adam. You know, if 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 uh, you know, if this chick was 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 his friend, and they hung out all the time, rather than some just random random person that doesn't know anybody. Um, yeah. You know, it'd be hard coming from a friend to dismiss. You know, if she's telling you, "Hey, you know, remember I could have sworn that guy was in here talking to you." You know. It, yeah. You know, I could see, I could see him uh, second guessing himself a little bit, or even that other little bit of a theory that you that you had. You know, it might have been, uh, might have been an Oswald lookalike, which is why he didn't actually recognize the guy as Oswald. It could have just been somebody he was chatting with or sitting near. Yeah. Let's let's get to the second Oswald thing in a second here. But uh, so afterwards, you know, he. Talking to some of his French, friends in the French quarter about that, and one of them was this journalist by the name of Clint Bolton, who was kind of Carrie's mentor as a writer. And uh, if you look on the web, people call him a CIA journalist. All of this, I don't know if that was the case, but uh, hey. <laughs> um, he asked people like Clint Bolton. You know, Barbara Reed said this stuff about you know that I was with Oswald. Bolton, among others, said she's always imagining things. It's like she's in the center of every crazy thing that happens in the French uh, quarter, and she places herself in this and others. You know, she was uh, making th things up or convincing herself to believe things that uh, Barbara was always like the center of uh, controversy. Uh, with the second Oswald deal, Farrell House is the publisher of this book, and Adam Parfrey is the publisher there. And he's, he's a big um, uh, supporter, fan of uh, John Armstrong's work. I didn't really uh, get into John Armstrong in one of the earlier drafts of this book, but I submitted it to Parfrey um, you know, a year and a half ago or more, see if he was interested in publishing it. He said, well, what about uh, John Armstrong's theory? They go, well, yeah, I know about that stuff, but this book's pretty convoluted as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to bring in that John Armstrong stuff. He said, well, if I'm going to publish it, I want you to address that. I said, okay, I'll look into it. And I talked to John Armstrong, and I'm glad I did, you know, because it brought out that thing about Harvey and Lee. According to Armstrong, I won't get into his whole thesis, but... Uh, he said that the Oswald that Thornley met up with at El Toro was Lee, and that the Harvey that was, <laughs> the Oswald that was in New Orleans during that September period of 63 was Harvey, so we, Thornley knew the Lee Oswald, and which explains why he might have not uh, recognized the uh, Harvey Oswald who was uh, in New Orleans during that period. 
so, you know, that kind of explained the thing. And, you know, I looked into Armstrong's work, and, oh, boy. Yeah. He covered his bases. That's uh, for sure. You know, he did, uh, that's it's a big book. He has, I don't know, thousands of citations in there. And he mentions Thornley elsewhere in the uh, book. But I think, you know, a lot of that stuff, he was just basically repeating a lot of the stuff from Garrison's memos. Because when I talked to him, basically dismissed uh, Thornley as being important to the case. That's where, you know, our discussions led to which uh, Oswald was in New Orleans during that period. And, uh, Armstrong felt the same that Thornley, you know, was, uh, Thornley did meet Oswald during that period and it was Harvey, which explains why he wouldn't have recognized him. Exactly. Yeah, because I always found it hard Hard to understand because I know from, like you said in your book, a lot of his fellow Marines, uh, when he was in the Marines, remember and recall, you know, Oswald, you know, being interested in, you know, quote, Marxism and communism and studying, studying Russian. But I, I could never get past how somebody so hardly educated I should put it I mean he jumped around from school to school to school and you know I think he he never graduated from high school Lee, Lee Oswald I'm talking about um, with that much of an education join the Marines and then show up in Russia and be fluent to the point where he was mistaken as a native you know what I'm saying like he had such a mastery of the Russian language, both spoken and and written, you know that it's it's inconceivable that he could have taught himself this 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 level of Russian in a couple months, you know, while in the Marines. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I'm sorry, I'm I sidetracked us there, <laughs> and some something else. Um, we were talking about Barbara Reed, sparked something in my head that there's a Barbara Reed associated with the Texas School Book Depository also. And I'm... What's the, sp what's the spelling? Um, I think it's R-E-E-I-D. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, she was one of the... Uh, she was one of the office workers in, in, in the uh, book depository. Maybe she was in the sniper's perch. Maybe. <laughs> and, uh... She she was the one that said she had saw Oswald um on the first floor in a white T shirt with a coke as late as twelve twenty five. Yeah, I was familiar with that story. I didn't know her name was Marguerite. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, which is possible I'm not, but I, that that name yeah. jumped out at me for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, just the one chocolate one more coincidence. So let's get back to Carrie Thornley um, in New Orleans. And there's an inter interesting allegation that he was uh, visiting Marina or having an affair with Marina, which personally I don't buy. And, and uh, there was an interesting, <laughs> interesting thing you mentioned in there about how Garrison set up their their testimony to coincide to see if he could get a reaction out of either one of them. Mm -hmm. Could you get into a little bit of that? 
Yeah, they were both called before the uh, grand jury to give their testament on the testimonies on the uh, same day. I forget the exact date of that. It was uh, oh February, early February of '68, and so yeah, it was arranged. And this is according to Thomas Bethel, who was one of Garrison's investigators who later defected to the Clay Shaw side of things. Hmm. But, uh, he said that that meeting had been arranged, and says this in other books, that uh, basically it was arranged that uh, they would uh, walk past each other in and out of the courtroom. And uh, hopefully you know, Garrison was looking for some kind of reaction on either one of their parts, you know, that they could admit their romantic uh, relationship and spill the beans, but uh, maybe you know, they have no recognition of each other. Question Marina after that. She once again confirmed that she did not recognize uh, Carrie Thornley. There's a, a newspaper article I came across recently that talks about the testimonies. That's also the day that uh, I believe Thomas Beckham provided his testimony and also Dean Andrews. And uh, going through this newspaper article, Carrie Thornley is, uh, his full name is Carrie Wendell newspaper article, he's identified as Carrie Lee Thornley. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, is this another one of the antics of Garrison's? They leaked the newspaper <laughs> that his name was Carrie Lee Thornley just once again to kind of, there's uh, a wink and a nod that he's one of the Oswald Doubles. Maybe an innocent mistake, but I've seen things like that. It's like, yeah, how'd that happen? Well, they, they even tried to paint him as, as you know, handing out uh, hands-off Cuba flyers, didn't they? Yeah, they tried to weave that together. Once again, uh, I'm going off the top of my head, but uh, he wasn't there when whoever it was picked those up, you know, at the, the printing place. Uh, he didn't fit to either Roswald's or Thornley's uh, description guy went by the name of Osborne, so who knows, but uh, Thornley wasn't there during that period, but uh, once again, Garrison tried to link him back. Thornley was arrested in 62 for hanging up some flyers, but uh, he was working a lot of odd jobs during that time, so he, he had one job where he'd show up with a bunch of guys, and they'd get picked up, and they'd be given a bunch of flyers from merchants or whatever to go hang in places, so Thornley hung something on a telephone pole where he shouldn't have uh, uh, placed it and apparently got arrested, which seems kind of odd, but Garrison made a lot of this, and uh, he asked the arresting officers later, but they didn't remember what was on the flyer. Of course, Garrison started thinking it was one of these pro-Castro leaflets, so, uh, yeah, who knows, but, uh, you know, they... <laughs> A lot of these things, it was like when they interviewed Thornley about this, uh, you go through all the Garrison documents. I'm not sure if it's the grand jury testimony or another interview that Skiambra did with Thornley, but he asked him about those flyers. Thornley gave the names of all the people he worked for and associated with during that period, and he said he was hanging these things for merchants. <clears throat> Later, Ski Amber, Alcott, one of those two said that 
family was uh, handing out leaflets for Birchers, as in the John Bircher Society, because yeah. they had misinterpreted or misheard the word merchants. And so, you know, that led to the theory that he was involved in right-wing organizations like the John Birch Society. A lot of weird, funny, crazy, sketchy stuff like that. Yeah, well, it's... That's what DAs do, man. They they build a case, and if they can't, then they really, really reach for stuff. But So that pretty much nails it up, man. They hear what they want to hear. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, now, Adam, if you'd be so kind as to point my listeners uh, to where they could find out more about you, more about your books, uh, buy your books. I'd be happy to. These books we've talked about, all of them are on Amazon. If you do uh, caught in the crossfire, Adam Go Rightly to take you to Amazon. There's also the Prankster and the Conspiracy in the earlier book. I had a Amazon uh, page, author page. Um, I talked about Discordian uh, uh, materials. I have a website uh, set up called Story Discordia, and occasionally I'll post on uh, Thornley and the Garrison Investigation, a lot of um, material not related to that. That's at historiadiscordia.com. There's adamgorightly.com. I'm all over the place, so, you know, pretty easy to find with a... Uh, just punch that into Google, Adam Gorightly, Thornley. Cool, cool. And I would urge everybody to go check it out because, you know, not only do you write about Carrie Thornley, but also, you know, other cool stuff, interesting things, you know, like the Manson family, um, just all, all kinds of the counterculture stuff that, that's really interesting to me from the 60s, you know, if you're interested in the assassinations and everything going on with the 60s and, you know, serial killers and, you know, hell, you're even a musician, dude, you know, you put out some pretty, pretty trippy music that I, that I dig. And With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, And I'll put up links to all your stuff on our webpage here so that people can easily find it. And uh, all they got to do is click a button and head over there and get it for themselves because people, the book is much more than just what we talked about here today. And it's and it's really an important historical work when you're looking at Kerry Thornley. Like I said, a lot of this stuff in the book is from his own mouth, from his own writings. And uh, it really goes a lot deeper than we went today. But um, I want to, you know, I just wanted to keep it kind of assassination centric. Um, but Carrie Thornley is a much, much deeper dude than that. But Adam, man, I appreciate everything you've done. Uh, sending me the books, coming on the show. I've had a really good time talking to you, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it too. Covered a lot of ground. It's a good thing. <laughs> Take some time uh, weaving through this maze of madness yeah well that's one good thing about doing a podcast i have no advertisers so we got nothing but time here brother (laughs) 
I appreciate it, dude. Hey, thank you, man. You've made it a birthday to remember. Believe me. Um, hang on the line for me, Adam, and I will talk us out here. Uh, once again, thank you, Adam Go Rightly, for joining me here on the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode number 48. This some bitches in the can up to the satellite beam down directly to your ears, people. Peace.